When it comes to discussing our bodies, we often get a little uncomfortable. Women's health issues are often seen as off-limits, taboo topics we just don't talk about. It's time for that to change. Let's talk. Welcome to the Brave Mama podcast, where we are going to do exactly that. Discuss everything from periods to pregnancy, motherhood to menopause. No topic is off-limits. Join Stephanie Thompson, the brave mama and author of The Day My Vagina Broke, as she asks other brave women about their personal health challenges and triumphs. You will learn, laugh and cry as Stephanie finds out everything you wanted to know but were too afraid or embarrassed to ask. So, grab a cuppa and enjoy. Welcome to The Lowdown with Brave Mama. I'm your host, Steph Thompson, and I know that you're going to get so much from this episode today. I'm chatting with Needy Sharma, who is a pelvic floor physiotherapist from New York. You'll love her honesty, her knowledge of the pelvic floor, and her clear and actionable steps that you can take right now to start feeling better while living with pelvic organ prolapse. She also shares her wealth of information via her Instagram Reels, and this will be especially helpful for those who are new on this POP journey. Before I share this valuable conversation, we want to start today by taking a minute to thank our listeners for their feedback. This is what Isabel from Let's Talk Period podcast had to say. The Lowdown is a great pod to listen to. Not only is Stephanie an amazing host, oh shucks, and holds space, her conversations are insightful, thought-provoking, and I'm always learning something new. Thank you for sharing such a great show that helps so many. So that coming from another podcast host in women's pelvic health, I'm really grateful to know that we are able to help even the well-seasoned listeners in this space. If you too would like to share your thoughts about this show, we'd love to hear them. Simply click the link in the show notes. Now let's get into today's episode. Hi, Nidhi. It is so lovely for you to join us today. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. So happy to be here. Well, it's actually tonight where you are, isn't it? Yes, yes. It's 8.40 p.m. Baby just went to bed, so, you know, it's my time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, thank you very much for sharing it with us because we feel very privileged to be taking whatever little time you have with a baby to be spending it with us. So thank you and welcome. Thank you. Thank you. What I like to ask first is who was Nitty before becoming a mum? I was primarily a physical therapist. First of all, I was a physical therapist. I was very ambitious. I wanted to do all the things. I still want to do everything, but I wanted to do all the things all the time. And I didn't really have any stop button. I didn't, I didn't, I was focused, but at the same time, I probably wasn't getting the big picture most of the time I was so focused on this one thing that I wanted to do and uh, being a mom has made me step back and look at relationships and priorities differently Mm -hmm. not only with my child but also with my parents with my own mom my husband and it took me a person who would not give in to my priorities for me to realize that (laughs) the priorities should probably be different, if that makes sense. Like everyone uh, around me 
always knew that I'm a very ambitious person. I was, I would go away, do courses, do all these things. And uh, obviously this baby wasn't taking, it wasn't having it. So uh, <laughs> then I stepped back and then I realized that uh, slowing down was actually not a bad thing. It's probably the first time in my entire life that two years, I mean, my entire professional life, which is like 13 to 15 years that I have not gone away for a weekend to a seminar or a course or something I would be gone at least one to two weekends every month wow just really focusing on yeah just professional advancement and development I'm really passionate about what I do Mm. but I I did take a lot of things for granted which which has changed and that's I guess that's sometimes the joys of parenthood is that they you think you're going to be your child's teacher but in fact, they are teaching us so much, aren't they? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that happened probably from the very beginning. When he was little, he wouldn't sleep or he wouldn't eat or he would just cry. And you just, uh, when you get triggered and you get tired, you kind of really have to find your, I don't know, true self, I guess, for the lack of a better word, to calm down at that point. It's like, it's unexplainable. I'm sure you know how difficult <laughs> it is in those times. Yeah, I agree. It's one of those things that no matter how many parenting books you read or how many times your older sister or auntie tells you about motherhood, you're describing that transition to understanding going, oh, that's what they meant. I don't think you can actually read that and and sink it in until you are in that lived experience, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you have uh, 40 minutes of sleep and you're just going into deep sleep and you wake up, I don't think you're reading any book in that state of mind, right? So you're always reading a book when you're fresh awake. Uh, I think you you should have to read the book at 2 a.m. You sh- somebody should wake, wake you up to read that book because otherwise you're not going to relate to it. That's exactly right. So you are into physiotherapy. In particular, are you focusing on women's pelvic physiotherapy? Yes. I treat both men and women maybe six seventy percent of my practice is women and yes i mostly treat pelvic health uh, both genders okay so what made you want to get into physiotherapy physiotherapy was something that i knew about my grandma my both grandmas actually one of them had rheumatoid arthritis the other one she had multiple fractures so she needed pt and i saw both of them being in rehab and i saw that they were helped by rehab. I saw they were helped by the physical therapy. And because they were both uh, needing physical therapy for many, many years, I saw that that changed their quality of life in a way that medical care just didn't. Yeah. Surgeries didn't and medication didn't. So that's, I mean, that's when I kind of decided I was between PT and nursing. And then okay. I ended up in PT just because that's the school I got into. <laughs> well, you've obviously gone down the right path because I've been following on social media and the amount of information that I think, oh my God, that's so much gold that you are sharing with the world ultimately, right? Like all the women on yeah. Instagram are all watching it for free is amazing. So I just wanted to say thank thank you you for that because I'm not sure if you have a similar experience in New York, but accessing a pelvic health specialist, physiotherapist can be really tricky. Like there's some and then there's some. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think it's it's very hard. I mean, I'm in, in one of the easiest places to get to, like New York, 
and even we don't have enough. So there are definitely places in other parts of U.S. where you won't find a PT for 200 miles of radius. And so then, yeah, definitely, it's it's a, it's a very it's a very needed um, specialization. And obviously, you work in that space, and we too are into that space, so we feel like we see it a lot. But for someone who's just starting out their journey, say for example, they've just been diagnosed with pelvic organ prolapse, where would you recommend they even start? Yeah, I think I uh, the website it's pelvicorganprolapse.org, I believe it is. Okay. I can confirm there's that, so many of uh, them it's okay uh, <laughs> one resource i particularly like and i'm not affiliated to them at all but a pop-up lift yep yep they have information that is not very scary i think for pelvic organ prolapse we say for a lot of conditions to get educated and that can be sort of scary to say to a woman who has a diagnosis of pelvic organ prolapse because Google shows scary images and most of the time the information out there is that it's just a dead end, that's how it's going to be or that it's going to get worse. So I really don't like to say to women to go and look it up or go research or go educated. So I think Pop-Up Lift, they have reasonable explanations that are simplified and not to um, fear inducing, which I think is important. Then I think for the diagnosis, at least in the United States, urogynecologist is the best person. Okay. Gynecologists do diagnosis, but I think urogynecologists do it more accurately. And when you do go to a urogynecologist, make sure you know what they're saying. So pelvic organ prolapse is a very wide diagnosis. Like what is prolapsing and how much is it prolapsing and when is it prolapsing? Because that can change everything. Uh, So a woman who is postmenopausal who has a grade three bladder prolapse, which is always prolapsing or always visible, is very different than a woman who has a grade three prolapse or grade two prolapse, which only comes when she runs. Yeah. Their their life will look very different. Their performance will look very different and their goals should be different. And would your treatment be different as well? So when you're working with yes. women at different stages and different ages, the way that you support them would look different too, right? Yes, very different, mm. especially in postmenopausal and postpartum. There are, there's a very huge difference in hormonal health between the two groups. Okay. And given that we do have estrogen and we do have more muscle strength and more buffer in the system in postpartum, we're very much more hopeful. I mean, we're, we're obviously helping postmenopausal women as well, mm-hmm. but with postpartum, we are much, much more uh, aggressive with treatment, more strengthening, more things that we do. And also postpartum prolapse is often to some degree reversible it does get better i have heard because the tissue yeah because tissue tissue does recover tissue is still shrinking postpartum is a stage that your body is going back from so it can get better it can actually physically get better not just symptomatically get better do you know just recently needy i heard and i don't know if you can actually confirm this because i don't know how new it is but when i was first postpartum and was diagnosed with prolapse i was prescribed or suggested i don't know what you call it an e-stim 
where the electrical stimulation mm-hmm. is inserted and then you try and strengthen the muscles that way, like what you were saying, to get the muscles back up. But just recently, apparently that research may have changed to think that the body should try and heal itself a little bit longer before then trying that. Have you heard of that recently? So electrical stimulation is not new. It's been around for a while, for a couple of decades at least. It's been applied to different body parts. We do it to quadriceps, like knee muscles after ACL surgery. So it's the same principle. We're just applying it to a different muscle. And I think we, I think the industry has gotten a little carried away in terms of electrical stimulation (laughs) when it's applied to pelvic floor. And I say that because I come from an orthopedic background and I have seen electrical stimulation being applied to neck and knee, and it it is applied pretty regularly in in muscles that get severely weak, but never, ever will we ever stop. We we would put a knee electrical stimulation on a knee and just walk away and hope that the person will walk. That will just not happen. (laughs) And somehow I see this happen in pelvic floor rehab all the time. That there are these gadgets and there's a chair and there's a shorts and there are all kinds of things where you're stimulating the pelvic floor muscles and then just doing nothing and expecting it to just work. Like magic. like magic and i think the problem is that the the pelvic floor rehab is is new it's new in the terms that it's Mm -hmm. three four decades versus muscular orthopedic rehab that's been six decades so the reason there this knowledge is being transferred to pelvic floor rehab and people just haven't studied it long enough to know that this is even if you see more muscle strength at three weeks of using of electrical stimulation what do you see at six months when you take that electrical stimulation away? Nothing. The body's not going to keep it that way. Okay. So these small sample 10-week studies, 8-week studies, have companies are doing obviously trying to sell their equipments yeah. and showing that there's so much more strength. I see women every day who say, I have that equipment. I wore those shorts. It was better. And now it doesn't work. And of course, it doesn't work. Your system got a little, a little jolt. It worked, but then it's just going to not keep jolting. It ha- you still have to pick it up. So it's supposed to be help. We have used it for a long period of time. It's supposed to be help. What it was meant to do, physical therapist started it. What it was meant to do was to build a brain-body connection. Yes. Like you can't quite feel those muscles. Yes. So now we're going to put something there and you're going to en- engage those muscles can you feel them? And now we can feel them. We're going to take this stimulation away and keep reinforcing this brain body connection. And then you're going to go from there. That makes perfect sense. It really, really does. Sorry, keep going. I'll share a story in a minute. So, and then we stop doing that. If you just build a little connection, body's like, oh, I don't want to do that. But then you don't do it. <laughs> then it's, it's just not going to work. I've seen it many, many times. And I'm sure in next... 10 years we will get over this we're just in this phase of it's going to fix everything and then we'll get over it and we'll realize that it's not going to fix everything yeah it's so perfect that you said that because I think a lot of women especially in our private prolapse space say oh have you tried the m-seller chair or the chair Mm -hmm. that gives you that as you just described stimulation yeah yes and I have tried it and no it didn't fix my prolapse because I have bilateral avulsions as well so I went in knowing that it wouldn't fix it 
But however, what I will say is that when you sit on it, exactly what you just described, Nidhi, when you can feel your pelvic floor lifting, you're like, oh, that's what a proper Kegel or pelvic floor lift is meant to feel like. Yeah. I think women should have exposure to that to, because it took a long time to learn how to lift and draw in my pelvic floor. It's not just those little quick pulses that you you think that it is. You think you're doing it right, but you're probably not. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And that chair, I think that would be useful for that element where women could say, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I'm meant to do that. I can do that now. The thing that frustrates me about that, it's so expensive, so expensive. Yes, and it's expensive and meant to be a standalone treatment. You're supposed to do, I don't know, 10 treatments in six weeks. Yes. And then you're, and then you're supposed to walk away. And I have seen multiple uh, women, a lot of women who are postmenopausal get talked into it more than postpartum because okay. postmenopausal women, they're more apprehensive of internal treatments. Yes. So they, they hear that, oh, I'm going to be dressed and sitting on in this chair, it's going to fix everything. And they did notice improvement after whatever weeks that they were doing, mm-hmm. but it did not persist, yes. which is what I would expect the system to do. It's a shame that they're not told that as well after spending all that money. They're told that you can repeat the process in six months. Mm. So they're told that you can just keep doing this every six months until I guess you run out of money. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine how frustrating that would be for you, who then obviously would see these women in your practice and say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry that you did that. Yeah. I mean, so and that's why we prescribe in electrical stimulation. It's not expensive. It's like a a $60 rental unit. We have a medical provider. Not a medical provider. I'm sorry. A medical distributor. Yes. We, in New York at least, we rent the unit. They rent the unit to the patient. They put a sensor in, do it 30 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. And then after one month, we do it every alternate day. And then after the third month, we do it two times a week. And then they're strengthening at the same time or weaning them out and getting them stronger. And they spend a total of, I don't know, $200 mm-hmm. in over three months. And they do the electrical stimulation. It doesn't have to be big and fancy. And it really is a marketing tactic. It's very sad and strange, mm-hmm. but it really is a marketing tactic. Yeah. And for those women who have, you know, testimonials to say that it that it worked for them. That's amazing. But it'd be interesting if anyone ever did follow up with them a year on or 18 months on, do you still feel okay? I don't think they want to know the answer possibly. Yeah. If they, if they do feel okay, we will have to know the, the scale that they say 80% women had less leaks. They often compare that to women who weren't doing anything. Um, you would have to compare it to women who were doing PT, who were doing something, not even PT, were just doing Kegels. Yes. Versus who weren't doing anything. People, women who were just doing strength training, who were just lifting weights every day, would get stronger. So the scientific study is more complicated than than what they're presenting. And Sela has has a, quite a few studies. I think like ten or twelve studies, and their sample sizes are tiny, fifty, okay. sixty women all the time. But somehow the clever person writing the advertising for those can take those statistics, like you just said, and they compare them to women doing nothing 
And it sucks us in because, my God, I know I have been desperate at times. So I tried it. I was so desperate. I drove an hour and a half each way just to sit on it because I was mm. desperate. Plus, I also didn't want to talk about something had I not tried it myself first. I think it's really important if you are sharing with your community what is helpful or what is not helpful, that you have to give it a good go yourself. I wanted to tell them that it was really good. I couldn't do that for me, but I kind of knew going in that it, I wasn't expecting a miracle, like I said. So put that aside, I know you just mentioned before women used the electrical stimulation and did other things, other PT. What type of things would someone who's just starting out on their prolapse journey, what can they do that is safe? Because that's the number one question we see. How can I return to exercises that are safe and not going to make my prolapse worse? Mm -hmm. So prolapse uh, basically is a problem in pressure management in the body. The organs are drooping from their place because uh, one, the ligaments from which the organs are suspended have gotten stretchier, longer, mm -hmm. weaker. And then the fascia, like the fishnet underneath the organs, along with the pelvic floor, they have gotten either weaker or gotten injured or stretched. And now any pressure that comes from the top, like you cough or you sneeze or you jump, that any pressure that comes from the top into the organs does not have enough support from the bottom. Okay. So now you have two strategies to manage this issue. One is to improve the strength at the bottom, which is the pelvic floor, yes. would be the hips, would be the abdominals, like a lot of things that can help at the bottom. And then control the pressure that comes from the top so what would be the pressure from the top is if you're coughing a lot if you're holding your breath a lot if you're bearing down because you're constipated yes. and you have to bear down to poop all the time you're bearing down to push your poop out you're also bearing down into your organs so managing that pressure from the top and a lot of times what our treatment does is to teach you how to do the task that you need to do without creating excessive downward pressure okay. that could be by breathing differently that could be by engaging your abdominals differently that could be by positioning your body differently so I did a reel the other day about lifting the baby out of the bathtub yes which a lot of women struggle with because it's a lot of weight and you kind of have to do a little deadlift or a squat out of because they're, they're wet. And one of the strategies could be that you actually sit down on the edge of the bathtub, bring the baby close to you and breathe on your way out. So just those little strategies that can change the relationship of load, like the, the weight that you're going to pick up from your body. And then a lot of it is about the breath mechanism. Okay. If you can really change your breathing, you, because breathing is breathing muscle diaphragm is what's driving the pressure down. Okay. That's what moves down when you cough, when you sneeze, when you bear down. So if you can control how much your diaphragm goes down and you can control how much your hip and your pelvic floor is supporting underneath, you can change how the prolapse will respond. And how it feels and you've um, got a better chance yeah that makes sense to and me. another thing that most women don't think about and it's fairly new being talked about even in pelvic health world is that it's not always weakness a lot of women oh, i have yeah. seen with pelvic floor type pelvic floor tightness or spasm so 
if because they're so scared of losing their organ or like letting the organ come out they're constantly contracting and sometimes their contraction is actually pushing the prolapse out or the prolapse is a little bit but they're because they're so contracted around it they feel it like you they're making the canal smaller so they're feeling the bulge more and once i tell them you gotta let it go just let the prolapse go let it do whatever it wants to do and then they say it's there, but they don't feel it as much. Oh, wow. I'm nodding, but people obviously can't see. I'm not, My head is like nodding so, so much because just from personal experience and other women in our group, we're clenching so hard, especially when you're kind of getting to that stage later in stage two, three. We're clenching so much our jaw. Like my jaw yeah. is so tight because I'm... And then you find yourself breathing like a little goldfish because you're trying to hold everything all the time just funnily as you were saying that about body posture I I automatically went I sat up straight and I put I engaged my core you just need those reminders all the time but we get into a easy habit of relaxing yeah my next question would be how do you know if you're clenching too tight and if it's too tight versus letting it go so how do you get that sweet spot in the middle so the the easiest answer is pelvic floor pt we tell you mm-hmm. but i mean i always encourage my patients especially if they have been to pt once to check themselves okay it's your body just a glove finger or a finger put your hand inside does it feel does it feel tight does it hurt shouldn't hurt okay nothing in the prolapse doesn't hurt Usually it shouldn't hurt. It, it's just an organ. It should feel, it feels a little weird and slippery, but it shouldn't hurt. Anything in there shouldn't hurt. If it's hurting, then it's tight, then it's irritated or you're engaging too much. Okay. And it's, I always say it's a fair assumption that you are clenching too much if you are feeling your prolapse all the time. Yeah. Because if you're feeling your prolapse all the time, you're probably not able to ignore it, yep. right? Whether it's not letting you ignore it or you don't want to ignore it because you're worried about it. Either ways, it's there, you're feeling it. So you're probably contracting around it. And that will usually develop into some degree of tightness or a holding pattern, okay. which in long term actually makes the muscle weaker because it's almost like if you were holding a two pound weight, yes. it's a light weight, it's not heavy. It's a two pound weight you're holding in your hand all day, just from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, you're just holding it. Okay. Your elbow will get tired. So it will develop a tired pattern over time. So if somebody is truly living in that space where they feel it all the time, I say to consider either a bladder support or a pessary, not even as a permanent thing, but just to give your body a little break from feeling it and, and trying to control it all the time. What was that first support you just mentioned? Obviously, I heard pessary. But what was the first one? So the bladder support devices, those little, they look like tampons, okay. but they're not because they're not absorbent. Here, the brand is Poise, P-O-I-S-E. Okay. They make these little tampon-like so things. They're a little bit bigger than tampon that you put in. They have a string attached to it. And all it does is just kind of holds the bladder up. It's a little trial run for pessary. 
And it's also for people who don't want pastry. Pastry is not something that everyone wants or is okay with. It can be hard to put in. It can be hard to take out. And it's not easy to put in and take out every day. Bladder support is fairly easy and easier, I think. A lot of my patients use it if they feel a prolapse only when they run. So, and they're doing rehab, we can tell them just put it in and you can run a little bit. Are the poise ones, are they silicon as well, similar to pessaries? No. Okay. No, they, I don't I don't believe they're silicon. They are, um, I guess, some sort of plastic. Yeah, some type of medical. They're not grade. absorbent. Yeah, they're not absorbent. Yes, because how many times, have, and I'm pretty sure you've seen it as well, women using multiple tampons together to try and push prolapses or sea sponges, need I say? <laughs> Yep. I don't know. Yep. What's your take on sea sponges, actually? That would be interesting. I don't know enough about it. I don't think it's a long-term solution. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's a simple enough solution. A solution. I probably prefer poise, but I don't want to speak too much to it because I don't. not a lot of my patients are using them. Okay, and that's fair enough. I think because you need to buy them online, it might be a behind-the-scene type thing, but the fact that they're absorbent is what concerns me, like... The same yeah. reason why they say don't put four tampons in because you can put yourself at risk of toxic shock syndrome or something like that. And it'll make you dry. Yeah. It'll which make, will make you it dry because it, it'll make it more irritated because it'll uh, absorb all your natural lubrication and increase the chances of pH imbalance kind of thing. So do you fit pessaries as well where you are in your clinic? So in New York, we have, in the United States actually, we have just changed the practice law maybe five months ago to oh. PTs doing pessary fittings. Five months? It's wow. Yeah, it's fairly new. We haven't done a ton yet. I've seen pessaries. I've used pessaries. I don't have a prolapse, but I used it just to feel it. Okay. And I think I'm going to do it soon. I just need a little more <laughs> time figure out distributors and whatnot uh yes well i don't know if this is helpful but a lot of the women in our private space talk about biotech as being one of the easiest ones if you've got not much dexterity in your fingers especially postpartum women to squash things like a cube apparently those Uh ones are a lot softer i don't know just a little tip biotech is the name yeah I think it's American. I'm pretty sure it is. Okay, I'll take a look. (laughs) Um, Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) It's always good to share these tips from people who have lived experience and have to go through this every day because a pharmaceutical company could sell you on all these different types. If they're not helpful for the woman using them, then yeah, it makes sense to just see what's helping. Unfortunately, there's been no pessary that's been able to help me so far. But we are watching very closely. There's a team of young female engineers in New York who are redeveloping a pessary that inserts like a tampon and it opens up like a mushroom when it's inside for space filling and then it can close for removal because I think that's the hardest part when you need a big space filling pessary to get it in and out is really hard. <laughs> Once it's in, it's okay. True. Yes. But but to, to clear that space. Oh, what is it called? Yeah, Rhea Health it's called. I'm pretty sure it's R-E-I-A. Yes, it is. Rhea Health. Definitely check case? them out. I think they're going through their final stages of medical trials. They just got a patent for it. But it's very, very exciting for especially yeah. women who just haven't been able to find their fit. Because I think quite often too, when people are starting their journey... They're never told, especially with a PT, I think a lot of our women's health physios can fit pessaries here in Australia. 
they don't often say, hey, this is going to be a process of yeah. trial and error, trial and error. And your first pessary probably is not going to be your one, that there's going to be maybe three, four sizes, different types. types. I think, yeah, once you can get your head around that part, then it seems to be easier. And I think that's one of the reasons that pessaries will be fitted by PTs here because you see a PT four or five times and within a period of once a week or tw- once in two weeks, you don't see a doctor that much. So yes. in New York, in US, when you go to a doctor, you know, like you said, the, there will be three, four trial and errors with shapes and sizes. Most women go to a urogynecologist after waiting for two months mm-hmm. and are fitted with a pessary and are sent home like that you're done. And then, of course, that doesn't work. If they're not done, either they can't pee or they pee too much or something else is going on. And then they believe that pessary is not right for them. Correct. Because it didn't work. And then I try to tell them that this may not be the right one, but the urogynecologist usually hasn't made up a follow-up appointment with them. Mm. They haven't said that it may not work. They've said, well, if you are in pain, call me, but otherwise you're all set. And so the obvious answer to the patient is, well, this doesn't work. This is not for me. So I think uh, once we start doing it, we'll have a little more control over that situation because we see them more. And quite similarly to the MCLA chair, going to a urogynecologist can be really expensive. So when people run out of money, they just stop going back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested to find your thoughts about this. So how can we make this pelvic health space better for our girls, I mean, and for us too, but as you touched on before, things take a long time to come Change. through and research. But if we want to make it better for our girls, what would be some of the things that you would like to see happen? I think I would like to see preventative care happen more. Okay. Especially in the United States, uh, I'm sure you know, our maternal health care outcomes are one of the worst in the developed world. The maternal health in terms of childbirth injuries, in terms of postpartum care, in terms of many things, are we are going through pregnancy and childbirth and labor without much concern for what happens to mother's body. And it's not like they're trying to hurt us, but they are they just don't have that in the back of their mind okay. at all. Yeah. They're thinking about the baby, they're trying to do the best for the baby. And I think in the background there has to be talk about well how is she gonna do how is she doing Hmm. so follow up and see pt and see personal trainers or see trainers throughout the pregnancy more access to midwives more access to pts right after yes we have zero access to pts we have zero referrals to pts PTs after childbirth it doesn't happen. There's no process. Women typically say, so women, once, first of all, they don't know what they're feeling. Oftentimes, if you have never heard about pelvic organ prolapse and just living your life, one day you suddenly feel like something's coming out. Mm-hmm. It's probably been going on for some time. You've been feeling ah, something weird. You're just not paying attention yeah. uh, or something feels some funky sometimes. Maybe it's scar, maybe it's bubbles, maybe it's something else. And then when it's really out, that's when you see it and you freak out. 
but it's been coming and you just didn't know you weren't educated to look out for it you weren't educated to get care for it to watch out for it so and we talk about these things a lot now but even now at least in new york doctors are not on board with preventative pelvic health care really yeah it's interesting which is really really sad Midwives are, but they are our healthcare is primarily run by OBs, okay. and a lot of good OBs that I work with, they are wonderful, but they are very small percentage okay. of a very large group of OBGYN practitioners who are not right. less than two percent, I think I would say if we're wow. out two percent and less than. Less than probably less than ten percent refer out after the patient even complains that I have a problem. Most of the time, they're told that it'll just get better. And it's New York. We have so many pelvic PT places. There's one pelvic PT place every three blocks. Wow. So we don't have that referral system still in place. Is really really sad. It's it's actually very. Uh, it's surprising. Preventative healthcare, pelvic healthcare, and then continuum of that healthcare going into postpartum. A lot of times patients say to me that it's so expensive to do pelvic PT, and it really is. Mm. But if we were to do those three, four visits during pregnancy, right after childbirth, it probably won't be that expensive for everyone. It's expensive because we let women wait for two years and then talk to their friend who also has another friend who says something (laughs) about pelvic floor PT and then you get somehow get there. And then you tell your doctor to write a referral because you're asking for that referral instead. You kind of go through the system. uh, By the time you get to us, things are dire. And even potentially, I think there was a bit of a, a movement here to be talking about women's health pelvic floor physiotherapy or even just an assessment before you're pregnant to see what your body's doing to see what your internals are like I I have learned so much along this journey needy and it's like women who are professional dancers or gymnasts can also have pelvic floor issues and they've never had a baby like we're talking 13 year old girls here so I think that doing an assessment young or even just for us to know how our bodies even work right (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I had shared a post a little while ago about studies, a new study done in Sweden, I think last couple of years, in teenage cheerleaders. The incidence of urinary leakage was, I want to say 65%. Mm. And the incidence of fecal leakage was 80%. (gasps) Fecal could be like gas or smearing or some, like not, not full leakage, but some degree of leakage. And it's surprising, It's the number is surprising, but like you said, it's extremely common. What we need to probably understand is that women's pelvic floor system works differently than men. Okay. And you have to understand that from the beginning, not in a way that it's bad or weak or whatever, it works differently. We mm-hmm. have different mechanisms and hormones affect us differently flexibility affects us differently and we if we just have to change that narrative like you said Mm. from the beginning our big dream is to include pelvic floor literacy in around the same time we talk about menstruation in that teenage early teenage 10 11 12 so that when they're talking about their periods and they're finding out about their body and how it works 
that the pelvic floor is included in that conversation. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's, that's, a, that's an amazing though. point. Yeah. That's an amazing point. Now, Nidhi, I know that you work in a clinic in New York and it's going to be almost impossible for us to fly over and see you, but there are <laughs> other places we can find you and see what you do. Can you just share with us, where's the best place where our listeners can go and check out all the amazing things that you're doing in this space? So the easiest place probably is the social media. My Instagram handle is pelvis.andbeyond. And I have the same name on the Facebook my clinic's website is funkphysio.com, F-U-N-C, physio.com. My own website would be drnithisharmapt.com. It's it's not done yet, so, but no, maybe no. next week, next month. <laughs> well, by the time we release this episode, I'm sure it'll be up and running. I can just put the direct links in the show notes for people to be able to find you. I just want to thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your experience. I love your passion. Like I said, I've been watching your reels. They're amazing. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. It was lovely to chat with you. Bye for now. Thank you, Stephanie. Bye. I'm wondering what resonated for you today. Which part of this conversation with Nidhi did you think, oh, I didn't know that, or that was interesting? I would love to know. We would love to know. You can just let us know by leaving a comment at the bottom of this very episode. And based on your feedback, we can go and find more conversations and people to help you like this, or go and search for the answers to the questions that you still may have. If you're listening to this via Podbean, you can simply just leave a comment below. If you're using another podcast platform, you can easily go over to our Instagram account at Brave Mama and send a direct message or a DM. Now, I want you to know that you don't have to feel alone on this journey because poor bladder and bowel control may get better or even curved with the right type of treatment. If you do nothing at all, there's a potential that it could get worse. So you can call the National Continence Helpline on 1-800-33-0066 and speak directly to a nurse continence specialist. This information is confidential and it's free. They're open from Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. until 8 p.m. We would like to thank the Continence Foundation for bringing you this episode today. And until next time, bye for now. Brave. My